We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of Sox Machine Live on this Thursday night, June 9th of 2022. I am Josh Nelson alongside Jim Margulis, who is in a hotel room at an undisclosed location. Hello, Jim. I hope you are having a wonderful Thursday night. I am. It's Washington, D.C. <laughs> I can disclose it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do want to mention, uh, as I mentioned, Rob, uh, it was Rob's birthday today. So happy birthday, Rob. I am hoping that you are having a fantastic day. Thank you to everything that you've done for us at Sox Machine. And uh, I hope your day goes a lot better than the uh, Chicago White Sox day at guarantee rate field as the white Sox lost another series uh they complete the gauntlet we did not have high expectations for this series for the chicago white Sox against the los angeles dodgers however after winning the first game of the series thanks to outstanding pitching for michael kopech and very timely hitting winning that game four to nothing and even though they lost game two by the score of four to one the white Sox were ahead again four to nothing as they were at the halfway point of, of Thursday's game. And then a collapse. And then incredible, questionable decision-making on Tony the Russo's part. And the Chicago White Sox lose 11-9. to They are now 26-29 on the season. They're third place in the American League Central as they are trailing both Minnesota and Cleveland. And Jim, as far as this series and... During his tenure with the White Sox, there have been many questionable calls. I know you are not one to push out hot takes, so mm-hmm. I will do that for us. Okay. The Chicago White Sox need to fire Tony La Russa tonight. Not tomorrow, not next week, not if they're still below 500 at the end of the month. They need to fire Tony La Russa tonight. And I think what is the fireable or I guess the decision that should make his firing complete uh, is a in-game situation with Bennett Souza facing Trey Turner. 
Freddie Freeman is on first base. The score is seven to five. Souza's ahead 0 2 on Turner, even though of the platoon advantage should be going to Trey Turner. Souza throws a wild pitch. Freeman advances to second base. Souza then is. <laughs> Souza doesn't even get a chance to continue the at bat against Turner because Tony La Russa calls for the intentional walk because he wants the lefty on lefty matchup with Max Muncie coming up to the plate. And what does Muncie do? Muncie hits a three, three run Homer. So you go from losing seven to five down to 10 to five. The offense finds a way to score nine runs in the game. So that mistake on Tony, the Russo's part, calling for an intentional walk on a one, two count burns the White Sox and may have really cost the White Sox the game. Cause again, the offense does come back and they score nine runs. Then it's the press conference after the game being asked the question. So we have audio and video from NBC sports, Chicago of Tony, the Russo when asked, why did he call for the intentional walk one, two? Can you explain the, uh, the thought process on the intentional walk with, um, with to, to Turner? So let me ask you a question. Is there is there some question about whether that was a good move or not? And I guess at one two is the question. The count. Do you know what he hits against left hand pitching with one oh one or two strikes? Do you know what he hits? Well, do you know what Muncie hits with two strikes with against left hand pitcher? I mean, is that really a question? Because it was one and two. Turner was a, a strike left against a left-hander is not something you can avoid if you can. And we had an open base, and Muncy happened to be the guy behind him, and that's a better matchup. Here again, somebody disagrees. That's, that's the beauty of this game. Welcome to it. But that, that wasn't a tough call. That wasn't a tough call, Jim. That wasn't a tough call. What are your thoughts about the call itself from Tony La Russa and then Tony La Russa's reaction? By the way, that's a question from Scott Merkin, who is the MLB.com beat reporter for the Chicago White Sox. Scott's great at what he does, but he's usually not the one asking the pressing question. And I don't, I think he may have been a bit taken back on how defensive La Russa was. So Jim, your thoughts about the decision La Russa made and then his post-game reaction being asked about that decision. Well, I guess I would counter that by saying, do we know what Bennett Souza allows versus left-handed hitting this year? So I do, thanks to Joe Sheehan. So Joe Sheehan <laughs> tweeted this out. Trey Turner, in his career against left-handed pitching on a 1-2 count, is hitting 258 with a 310 on base percentage, slugging 390. Bennett Souza's career against right-handed batters on a 1-2 count is allowing a slash line of a 167 batting average, a 286 on base percentage, and a slugging percentage of 167. He's never allowed an extra base hit to a right-handed batter on a 1-2 count. And Larusa exchanged that situation for Max Muncie, who in his career is hitting 251, 365, and slugging 492 against lefties. And Souza, in his young career, has reverse splits because lefties are hitting 300 against him with a 389 on base percentage and slugging 367. So those are the numbers for that particular situation. The numbers would suggest let Souza pitch to Turner 
Yeah, especially with two strikes. Like I could see it. I think anybody could see like the I'm, I'm thinking like last year with Vlad Guerrero versus Lance Lynn with Sebi Zavala behind the plate. And with the base open, Lynn uh, pitches to Guerrero, 3-0, throws him a strike, tries to throw him a strike. And uh, Guerrero demolishes it. And after the game, uh, Tony La Russa gives Sebi Zavala an earful, I think, like in the dugout. And then also after the game, he kind of just uh, hung him out to dry a little bit. And so that was, you know, odd, you know, to, to kind of see like, you know, the, you know, or I, I guess that was, you know, I, I guess, you know, um, intuitive, like to say like three, Oh, walk them. But in this case, mm-hmm. one, two, like, and two outs, you know, as, as Tim pointed out in the comments, like one, two, two outs, like it's a case where it's just like, he's not, you know, being tasked with like, Starting and not setting up a double play. The double play is, you know, useless. So, I mean, there's no benefit there. It's just, you know, one pitch to get out of the inning. And Souza, you know, he's probably asked to do too much right now. Probably, ideally, he wouldn't be on the roster because, uh, you know, Bummer is, you know, the only lefty with credible major league experience. Uh, Crochet got hurt. So, Souza's been asked to do a lot. And he's been, uh, you know, kind of you're treading water trying to tread water so i think you know if he has a leg up on any hitter i think you have to let him let him do it unless it's like you know it sets up a double player some kind of strategic advantage but uh now lefties are hitting 364 against him because gavin lux reached on the single to start getting so they went two for two that inning but yeah that's just it's i could see it if it had a strategic advantage to where setting up the double play and didn't work and larusa after the inning said like well you know, I played a hunch. You know, I really wanted the double play. Really, just thought the easiest way for him to get out of the inning was by, you know, only having to get, you know, getting two outs with one batter. That shot, but because it didn't offer that advantage, and because Muncie Homer did backfired so spectacularly, for Larusa to double down and say like, you know, what are you idiots for, <laughs> for right. uh, you know, not seeing it the way he did. Um, for a guy who's under, like his entire team is underachieving. It's not his fault that, you know, the injuries are the injuries. And then some, you know, guys are having colossal underperformances, but just, you know, um, it, it is his record, you know, it does go on his record. So to have the team struggling the way it is struggling to score runs the way it is and to, uh, you know, make every kind of outburst you know, from the offense count towards a win, it does magnify these decisions. So for him to act um, you know, all smug about it really inspires no confidence because like, just, this is a case where, you know, usually La Russa or the way, you know, when, when things leak out to the greater baseball Twitter that really doesn't have any stake in what the White Sox are doing, usually do see like some kind of, you know, breadth of opinion and some spectrum and some people saying yes, no, but like, this is a case where just people are trying to, and can't like, you know, uh, I, I think Joe Sheen had a tweet saying like, you know, did he have the count flipped? You know, did did he perhaps think it was two to one, which is a fair question because he's forgotten the number of outs before, or he's misrepresented the amount of outs in an inning in a post game conference that made one think was possible that he didn't know the number of outs. Uh, he also did not know the rules in uh, an extra inning situation, so he had Liam Hendricks running for himself. So he's had some high profile slip ups that make can make one think like, oh, he had the the count inversed, but like in you know, the way it unfolded in, and there's even a, uh, you know, one of the NBC sports Chicago clips had uh, a fan yelling, Tony, there were, he had two strikes before, like as Muncie's coming to the plate, which I think is like the only useful 
bit of fan commentary that the NBC Sports Chicago microphone has ever picked up. But just like even if you have like the fans who are within the field mics range noting things correctly, like that's that's what I don't get. Um, just there, there's really no it's a hunch. You know, like I, I get the lefty lefty thing, but, you know, we've seen like I'm thinking like to the pregame lineup introduction, speaking of NBC Sports Chicago, like the graphics they're using. Like when Larry Garcia let off and Yohan Makata is hitting third and they just have this, you know, kind of this, this pursuit of handedness, Uber Alice. I don't like it's, it's backfiring offensively, backfiring defensively. Uh, there's just, you know, he seems like so fixated on this that there's just, it, it's, it's bizarre. Like, and, 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 and shakes confidence the way that the uh forgetting how many outs there were or not knowing how many outs there were shook confidence in the way that uh he didn't know the extra innings rule shook confidence and this is year two and now they're under 500 and the team's being tested and the l central's providing competition and that's where it gets rough and and yeah we've seen the phillies move on from manager we've seen the angels fire manager under similar circumstances and yeah it's it's rough yeah the phillies haven't lost since they have moved on from Joe Girardi. They are red hot right now after making that exchange. And a lot of the things that you touched on, like the inconsistent decisions on players. So he pushes Dylan Cease, and in the post in the post-game conference, the reason he stuck with Dylan Cease throughout that fifth inning is because Cease struck out Mookie Betts, Jim. And LaRusse's thinking is, well, if you have good enough stuff to strike out Mookie Betts, you should stay in the game. And Cease is throwing You can over. dodge a wrench. <laughs> yeah, you can, yeah, you can dodge a ball. And that's why he sticks with Cease. So in June, Cease could be taxed out throwing. Didn't he throw almost like 40 pitches in that fifth inning and go well above 100 pitches in June? But Andrew Vaughn can't play back-to-back days. Mm-hmm. And the illogical lineups, Lurie Garcia batting leadoff, I mean, the Dodgers broadcast was making fun of Tony LaRusso's decision of having Lurie Garcia bat leadoff that the entire Sox game. broadcast was. Yes. <laughs> you had to read between the lines. You had to understand, you know, just exactly how uh, Jason Benetti and Steve Stone will do it when, when Steve Stone's not on Twitter. Steve Stone on Twitter is a whole different animal from Steve Stone on the broadcast. But, like, they were uh, leaving plenty of room between the lines to show how much they disagreed with him every time – he came to the plate and you have this particular call, this one, two call. And then his reaction to the call saying that it was not a tough choice to intentionally walk Trey Turner on one, two. This has got so many layers to it. Like someone needs to talk to Bennett Souza and maybe that's happening while we are live streaming this particular episode. But how does Bennett Souza feel after getting ahead when he gets the ball back from Grandal and he goes back to the mound and then he sees Turner giving his equipment to the ball boy because Turner is now being intentionally walked. You you took the ball out of my hands, coach. Like, why did you do that? And then he throws a pitch on the outside corner and he watches Muncie hit a three-run homer. Like, that's deflating. That's deflating. And then Larissa in the prior game says, well, there are things that I'm seeing the observational analytics, which doesn't exist at all from Louis Garcia to suggest that he's having better at bats. 
And in that post-game conference, and I'm quoting Larry Garcia, he admits he's feeling like shit at the plate. So you don't know how Larry Garcia is feeling at the plate. You're just trying to pump him up and put him in a position. You put him in a position to fail. So you're taking the ball away from guys trying to succeed. And then you put guys in a position to fail or you, you don't play Andrew Vaughn every single day. And, and the lineups, I don't want to get too much into it. Cease through 45 pitches, by the way. Yeah. See, so he throws 45 pitches. If Dylan Cease's elbow barks up in two days, your season is done. Done. You're 26 and 29. This team is very underachieving. And the time is now. I think the time is now for Rick Hahn to fire Tony La Russa because the way that La Russa just acted today post-game is identical, identical to the way that Joe Madden was very defensive to the Angels beat reporters. That mm-hmm. next morning, Joe Madden's fired. Now the Angels still haven't won a game, and their season may be done after starting 27-17, and 17, They have lost 14 straight games. They are having the 2016 White Sox season, except they fired their manager during the down spiral. The White Sox have the easiest schedule remaining in Major League Baseball. So while Rick Hogg can continue to go in front of the media before every homestand and say that I have a lot of confidence in this team to bounce back, I get why he's saying that. Because Mm -hmm. on paper, you have the easiest schedule in Major League Baseball coming up. But Tony the Roos is not an asset. Tony the Roos is a hurdle. He's a hurdle for your job, Rick. You may have this master game plan on a whiteboard or in your head on how this team should be operating despite the injuries. He's not doing it because God forbid anyone on this planet questions his baseball acumen. And if that's how he feels to the beat reporters being asked a very fair question, how do you think he addresses that? to Rick Hahn, who never played or never managed the game. And, yeah, he's not hes not an asset. He's not helping your team win. He's complicating and compounding the issues for your team. You have the easiest schedule remaining left. You fire Tony La Russa tonight. Yeah, we don't know what Miguel Cairo does. But I say, let's find out. Or if you want someone that does have some managerial experience, Joe McEwing has managed games here and there as he was Rick Renteria's bench coach. Let Joe, Mc, let Joe McEwing give it a shot as the interim manager for the rest of the season. This is not working. And Tony La Russa should not be managing the White Sox anymore. But the deep down truth is, Jim, I don't know if Rick Hahn has the guts to make that move because it is a gutsy move on his part to fire Jerry Reinsdorf's buddy and pretty much tell his boss, Jerry, yeah, I fired Tony because he's making us worse. Now what? It's not asking for permission. I guess it's somewhat asking for forgiveness, but not needing his forgiveness because Jerry, we're 26 and 29 and we're underachieving. We need a shot in the arm. This is the move. Well, can he? Can he do that? That's the case where it's just like I can see uh, Rick saying, I fired Larusa. And like, no, you didn't. You're fired in the end. <laughs> that gets that being the way it works out. That might and be so, a blessing for Rick. Honestly, well, that it, might be yeah. a blessing for Rick. 
Yeah, no, it's uh, I mean, that's what we're looking at here. Like uh, uh, Bob Nightingale, I think after the uh, Girardi firing had a story about managers who might be on the hot seat. And he went through like, uh, you know, Scott Service in uh, Seattle and Joe Madden in Anaheim. He mentioned that well, he specifically mentioned LaRusso, but said like he won't be fired during the season. But afterwards, there might have to be a conversation with Jerry Reinsdorf. Like it's not Han's decision. So I think it just, you know, I think as much as he would like to, I don't think he can. Like I, I, I'm guessing it's not possible for for him, even if he wanted to, even if he went up to Larusa and said you're fired, um, yeah, Larusa would just say something like, "Oh, and what did Jerry say?" And and that's what he's waiting for. So I mean, like that's why I can't really be, um, yeah, like I agree with you. Like I agree that like Larusa has really not added much. I, I think he could have made the argument last year that he did have some benefits in terms of just how much they had to work with, how many guys, you know, randos they had to roll through from Mercedes to Brian Goodwin, Jake Lamb. Like he did a good job of rotating through a bunch of options when uh, key injury struck, but also the central is garbage. Like the Yale central posed no challenge whatsoever. Um, once the luck ran out, they were kind of a 500 team, kind of mediocre and they could afford to be it because uh, they just had that kind of cushion. But this year they're being tested by the twins. And right now they're not responding well to that test. So it's uh yeah, there's just, he's not really showing much right now. Um, it, it's a case where like, um, you know, when it comes to like, you know, Rick Hahn, like I could see him like being a, you know, perhaps wanting to fight LaRusa, but if he gets fired, like say like, let's say that, you know, that, that, that courtroom scene happens or like, you know, uh, just, I hold myself in contempt type uh, situation with, uh, you know, with Han and, and he gets canned, like, where is he going to go? Like he's, you know, as we've talked about, like his, he, he's a good contract guy, but in terms of like building a team and actually like, you know, uh, building a staff and having like a good pro scouting department under him. He's not like, he's not a visionary. <laughs> like he has, you know, he, you know, he doesn't bring anything special to a team. So like, he's not going to get the job that he has right now anywhere else. So like, it's, I, I think this is what it's come to like this organizational uh, stasis, just, you know, with, with Williams being there forever, Han being there forever with, Everybody accepting Jerry Reinsdorf's meddling or preferences, you know, no matter how much they get into a, you know, uh, gum up the works of the team. Like this is what it's brought. <laughs> and like when, when the White Sox hired LaRusa, I said that like, you know, you know, the, the line I keep coming back to is that like their managerial decisions work as well as they deserve to. Like Rob Ventura didn't deserve to work out well. It failed spectacularly. Rick Renteria was not a great choice, but at least credible for this, you know, stage they're at. He was fine. Uh, now LaRusa gets hired. Like it could have been like, you know, like I said, it's either going to be great or it's going to you know get ugly. And I think it's just because he's such a, yeah, I mean, he's got the second most wins in history. So maybe it is something he can do at any age with any team, you know, and, and fine, you know, like I'm, I'm interested in seeing how that works just as a, uh, somebody who writes about baseball is interesting to see how strange decisions work out. Like I like, you know, when the Rockies do weird stuff because I want to see just how it works. So as a, you know, somebody who enjoys writing about it, you know, and, and the usual things like, sure, you know, I, I don't I don't condone it, but it's happening. So, all right, let's see what this does. But now that we're seeing what it does, like, like it's just this is where we're <laughs> this is where we're at, and this is where they deserve to be at. If it does, you know, continue to be this much of a mess. We did get a comment. The White Sox are having a Sox Charities event in which uh, one of our uh, someone in the YouTube comments 
mention that uh, Tony the Roos is going to be interviewed by <laughs> uh, by Len Casper and Darren Jackson of the Radio Crew, <laughs> and that's just what an interesting event. You're going to have this charity ball after you lose this type of game, and nationally, this is going to get picked up nationally. MLB Network, ESPN, The Athletic, Fox. Everyone is going to be talking about Toto the Roos' decision-making, and they're going to be playing the clip that we just played on this show from NBC Sports Chicago on mm-hmm. his defensive reaction all night, all night. And everyone's going to be asking the Chicago White Sox. They are underachieving their third place in the American League Central. They're 26 and 29. We just saw the Philadelphia Phillies fire Joe Girardi and look at how they responded. Should the White Sox make the same move? It is going to be on blast all night tonight. And then you have Tony La Russa mingling with high up folks at a White Sox charities event. That, well, that's what's going of, down tonight. Well, it reminds me of the White Sox designating uh, Yonder Alonso for assignment two hours after they uh, touted his bol- charity bowling event for boys and girls clubs. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> so they have had it in them before, but with uh, uh, with players, you know, when it comes to handpicked uh, non-playing personnel, it's a different conversation. Back to Rick Hahn, I would have a lot more respect for him if he made this decision tonight if Tony La Russa does not go up on that stage and do that interview and participate in the charities because he cuts them off and says Tony that's it we're done we're moving on I I can't have you managing this team because you know you are in the wrong that's not the way that I want a manager managing the team that I built I would have a lot more respect for Rick Hahn because this is also his legacy This is what he has spent years building and he's not getting the crescendo. And we mentioned now like the third time in this show, the White Sox have the easiest schedule remaining. You cannot punt that. Mm -hmm. Like you may think, oh, the pressure is off. We just got through the roughest part. No, no, you have to capitalize on that. Now you're even under the microscope more. And you know, using the analogy of being the ant and someone frying you with the, I'm so worked up. I'm forgetting the word. Magnifying glass. Magnifying glass. Thank you. Using the sun to burn you to hell. The the White Sox. <laughs> Ants don't go to heaven? No. Oh. No. They're pests. Uh, the... <laughs> That's a great question now. Do ants go to heaven? <laughs> We're not high, but I just, I would have a lot more respect for Rick Hahn if, if he did that, if he does not. And it is because of the truth or the assume, assumed truth that we have known for years that Rick Hahn has to get permission from Jerry Reinsdorf to make such a move. Well, then he's really not all that powerful. Like act no. like the executive vice president that you are. And if you are in charge of baseball operations, this is the move you make tonight yeah i just you know is anybody under the illusion that he is in charge like when it comes to this specific decision like this is (laughs) maybe him well i mean like he's also trying to uh float the idea that eloy jimenez is an injury prone 
like <laughs> this case where like he does like he does get insistent upon realities that uh may may or not be uh widely accepted by people outside the organization so yeah it's you know like yeah i would respect him as well but our respect doesn't uh i guess uh pay his bills or anything like that or you know so that's that's i think i'm resigned to it just because i'm yeah i'm resigned to the white Sox being weird and you know just i yeah, part of my job I considered is chronicling their failures and their repeat failures. Like, you know, just being the ones like saying like, oh, this looks like something they've screwed up before. Like, that's really my job is, uh, you know, just being the one who's documented before and has had the, um, you know, I guess, unkillable desire to continue doing it. So that's, I think, you know, just, uh, you know, whether it's like a, kind of like a, a Greek chorus type thing, but just that's what I figure my, you know, my role is. And, uh, so that's why I, yeah, I, like it did, like, it almost reminded me, like, I can see LaRusa coming out tomorrow and saying like, uh, well, you know, people have a right to react. I was just, you know, upset at how it played out. And, you know, I can see him doing a little bit of a mea culpa and, and, and you know, kind of adjusting his tone after the fact, the, similar to what he did when saying that real White Sox fans would understand that they have the right field solutions in place, uh, during spring training. Oh God. You have to remind uh, and then, me like, of that quote. Yeah, and then the next day, you know, he uh, says like, "Oh, I didn't mean like that." Yeah, I'm just. Uh, and then they go out and acquire AJ Pollock, and the whole thing is, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, his whole cover is blown anyway. But yeah, so I, I can imagine him, you know, having, you know, being encouraged by Reinsdorf, whoever, to come out and say something, you know, adjust his tone, and then uh, it goes back to wait till Lynn comes back, wait till Anderson comes back, wait till uh, Jimenez comes back, wait till, um, you know, just on and on and on, and. Uh, and just kind of going about the business as though this never happened. The thing about it with the White Sox is that when someone comes back, someone else replaces them on the injured list. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah. We could all wait on, Oh, maybe they'll get healthy. No, they, they're not getting healthy. Someone else is going to replace them on the injured list. And in the comment section on our YouTube during the live stream, there's a lot of people rightfully pointing out that Rick Khan uh, is also to be blamed for this mess. Absolutely. Absolutely his. And mm -hmm. I am not trying to give Rick Hahn any excuses. But the only real power move a general manager has in season when your team is failing as a CYA maneuver is fire the manager and see how the team reacts. Dave Dabrowski right now looks like a genius firing Joe Girardi. The Phillies can't stop winning. We'll see on how the Angels continue to react after the Boston Red Sox series. But for Rick Hahn, this is this is a pure political corporate move. And it's one that he's got to make because Tony is not making things better. He is making things worse. And if Rick Hahn fired Tony the Russa. And this White Sox team still doesn't make the postseason. I have gone on record multiple times, and I will say it again. He should also be fired after this season if the White Sox do not make the playoffs. But we keep talking about a sense of urgency. Everyone within the White Sox organization has talked about and also has shared their thoughts about embracing urgent moments. No, you are at a sense of urgency now. After what happened on Thursday, Tony Larusa should not be managing the White Sox moving forward. But I've also resigned to the fact that he probably will for the rest of the season, and we'll see on how it goes. And if the White Sox keep stubbing 
their foot on the coffee table because La Russa is making questionable decisions with the lineup or questionable personnel decisions or questionable in-game decisions. We're going to just throw our hands up in the air and say, this is who he is. No one's learning within the White Sox. We're watching a car crash right now of a season. That, that's what we're doing. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's get, I, I was going to talk about Dylan Cease. We're not going to talk about Dylan Cease. I'm not dragging Dylan Cease into this mess. It's not fair to him. Uh, but we did, I did bring up as far as the easiest schedule remaining for the Chicago White Sox. There's 107 games left to go. The teams on their schedule combined have the lowest winning percentage of all of Major League Baseball. So this is why you still have Vegas and sports books having the White Sox as the slight favorites to win the American League Central, even though there is a pretty big gap right now between the Twins and White Sox from first to third place, and the White Sox are behind Cleveland for second place in the American League Central. So out of these 107 games, Jim, I, I it's a lot. It's a lot of games to look at. But what are your expectations for the White Sox in the remaining 107 games? Is there like a win total that you think they could still achieve or a winning percentage that they could hit in these remaining 107 games? Well, you know, you're putting me on the spot because you know, we did acknowledge because you're so fired up that I nailed the gauntlet prediction, 19 wins. You did. Three yeah, cheers for this guy. Yeah, yeah. congratulations. <laughs> 19 and 18, the White Sox went. Yeah, I think uh, maybe LaRusso's decision, he was trying to protect my win prediction. Wanted me oh, to get right on the nose or the closest geez, one. Now, so. This is why you're not fired up. You're not joining with me. You are on team Tony LaRusso because yes. he, he proved you right. Yes. Um, <laughs> It's like he, he like we are talking about talking about money and checks. If we put money on that, then he would have been protecting my paycheck. We all protect each other's paychecks here. <laughs> and I'm not sure what the uh, uh, four man version of Troika is, but I think I want in. Uh, anyway. Oh no, it'd be it would be fifth because I think the four would be Larusa, Williams, Han, and Jerry. Anyway, uh, when it comes to the question at hand, uh, I think you know right now, given that it's. You know, you're looking at the you know, easiest schedule and you're talking about like, you know, theoretically a winning percentage of like, you know, if they went chalk and had the winning percentage that equals the winning percentage, or I guess like the winning percentage equals the losing percentage of the rest of the schedule. Like they would probably be on track for high 80s, something like that, like, you know, mid to high 80s. And if the twins have a, you know, and, and the twins have been outrunning some some luck themselves and depending on how you know, the White Sox do in division, like, 
that could be enough to win. But it's really, I think, just a head-to-head matchup with Minnesota. Cleveland's also hanging around. Cleveland can gum up the works, but just with a you know four to five game lead at this juncture, I think it is really you know kind of Minnesota's division. They have the games in hand that Dan Samborski always talks about, like with projections, like you know projections, you know. They, they do have a big picture approach, but we, when, you know, you're 50 something games in the season, uh, those games matter. You know, you just can't pretend that they, nothing happened. So you have to adjust accordingly. So they have earned that. They have shown that, you know, like uh, I'm thinking like the Josh Donaldson trade by getting some pieces that work better for their particular team because Urshela is on the field where Donaldson often was not. They're just getting more production from positions they need. Like they might be a, a case where, they're playing a little bit better than projections showed because the pieces fit better than maybe projections showed mm-hmm. Donaldson when it comes to third base. So I could see a situation where like, yeah, the, the twins are just as tough, even tougher. And now it's incumbent on the White Sox to act as though, you know, I think they're kind of torn between, you know, saying it's not a big deal where they are because they believe in the talent when it all comes back and acting like there is a sense, sense of urgency, you know, trying to balance that line between confidence and, uh, being overconfident and over desperate. And right now I think they're, uh, especially with LaRusa having this kind of decision and reaction to it. Like you, you wish you saw a little bit more urgency bordering on desperation, just to the way the like Dallas Keuchel DFA showed that they were serious about the, uh, you know, trying to get better and, and not agreeing with the status quo. And I think, you know, Patrick on uh, Patrick Noll on Twitter, Penals on Twitter mentioned that like so far Dallas Keuchel is the only one to suffer any kind of consequences. And he has nothing to do with the offense or also like this, like, yeah, they DFA'd him. It's like, that should be good for a month, you know, just, uh, so I, it is a little bit of a concern that like they threw some red meat out to the, the fan base and now the rest is just focusing on regression and who comes back when, because nobody's going to get injured ever again. I think that's really the, uh, the, the tricky part here, but I, I do think, you know, that they can get to 90 wins thereabout if everybody comes back and they handle the central, but um, you can't count everybody coming back. Like Lance Lynn uh, got really roughed up in the uh, fourth inning of the start against Charlotte, like was just leaving a lot of stuff over the plate and getting hit. So he might come back and might be fine, but also might not be the Lance Lynn they thought they were getting. So, you know, there's a, there are a whole lot of question marks. Will Grandal uh, be any version of himself? Or are they just wasting weeks with chasing a form of him that's not going to come back this year, at least while he's you know, using the entire season as a rehab stint. Same thing with Mankata. You know, is he, are they wasting weeks with him? So I think, you know, they have a couple big questions besides the guys who are hurt that really, uh, you know, just really can't be known. Uh, and in terms of, it can't be quantified by projections. It's not a matter of like, everybody's perfectly healthy and just not clicking. Or, you know, somebody's got a blister problem and that'll resolve itself in uh, 10 days. Like these are, these are more, uh, or these are stickier issues and they really permeate more into just how this team was built. I've got the white Sox going 59 to 48 in the remaining games of the schedule that puts them at 85 and 77 for the season. I don't think that's good enough to win the American league central. I don't think it's good enough to be the sixth seed in the postseason this year. So my gut is now saying the white Sox are going to have a above 500 record. And they'll finish with a winning season, but they're going to fall short of making the playoffs because as we're talking right now, the Minnesota Twins are figuring out how to hit Garrett Cole. And they're up right now. And if they can hold on, they're going to win two out of three at home against the New York Yankees. Mm -hmm. That is a team that has given the Twins fits. And if they can hold on and win that game, 
they would have been Nestor Cortez and Garrett Cole at back-to-back games. They went to Toronto and won that series, whereas the White Sox got swept. Yeah, they'll be six back. Yeah, we're waiting for the Twins to to start to falter here. I don't think that's going to happen unless it's the White Sox that are beating the Twins up. And that's how they make up the game. So there's still a lot of games left to go between the White Sox and Twins this season. Like, that's the hope. There's so... There is so much pressure on these games, especially the division. And especially when you look at the calendar in July, when the White Sox come home from San Francisco and all of those divisional series stack up starting on 4th of July and through the all-star break key series against the twins and the guardians and the tigers, they have to get hot. They have to win those series. There is no other option. There is, there is not all oh, we had a bad week. No, you can't. You already had your bad week. You are, and you can't afford any more bad weeks this season. And, yeah. And it's, it, yeah. I mean, like the, the, I think when, you know, I look at it and just, it's hard to, I mean, I shouldn't say it's hard to understand because we've under, we, we fully understand how the team has gotten to this point. But when you look at just, you know, if you talked about it before the season, talking about like how good the rotation has been, like G Lito, and Cease, you know, and Kopech, you know, outperforming expectations. Johnny Cueto being every bit the Dallas Keiko replacement in season. And, you know, fifth starters been, you know, uneven, but most most fifth starters are. Like, that's rotation going six innings more or less every time. Like, generally speaking, it's hard to have sustained losing streaks with that kind of pitching going on. And, and hard to have, like, these ruts that they've been in and, and, and you know, the inability to get over 500. Um you know, with that kind of sustained strong starting pitching. And even like the bullpen has been good when you get Hendricks and Graveman and such, like they've been delivering, I think, you know, meeting their paychecks more or less. They had some high profile stumbles early, but later than good. So, I mean, like the pitching is sound uh, and it's all comes down to really their lineup against right-handed pitching. Like that's really, you know, you watch what they did against, uh, you know, uh, a lefty today. And it was fine. Like they 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 took good at bats. Um, you know, like Jose Abreu had a couple walks. Like they they moved the line. Jake Berger had some loud contact. Like they were good. Like they, it was a they had professional at bats. AJ Pollock came through. Josh Harrison came through. Like right-handed hitters delivered. And you can build a lineup. You know, even Danny Mendick. You know, batting first or whatever. Fine. You know, like. You can have a good at bat a game, which I think right now qualifies as better than uh, the options they've been rolling out there. But it really comes down to right-handed pitching and not having Moncada, not having Grandal, but think playing them as though they are the you know, their real versions are just around the corner and having Larry Garcia batting first as though his uh, real self is just around the corner. And, you know, when you're batting Berger fifth or sixth or you have like Vaughn not playing sometimes and just, you know, with, with righties, they need to be desperate. I think they need to just kind of front load the lineup no matter how it looks, no matter how slow they are, and just uh, give their good bats as many bats as possible against right-handed pitching until Grandal and Mancata and who else, whoever else, you know, they want to have batting against right-handed pitching shows up because that's really the, the weak part of this team and, and the part that's killing them. Well, let's go into this uh, weekend series as the White Sox homestand continues, and we'll see if Tony LaRusse is still managing the Chicago White Sox this weekend as the Texas Rangers come into town. 
to play three games against the Chicago White Sox and your pitching probables for this series starting on Friday, June 10th. It's the only night game this weekend at 7.10 p.m. Central Time. The dart, Davis Martin, will make the start for the Chicago White Sox against Glenn Otto of the Texas Rangers. Saturday, this is a 1.10 p.m. Central Time start. Martin Perez and his 1.56 ERA is going up against Lucas Giolito. But the White Sox, as Jim mentioned, did well against Tyler Anderson, who had a very impressive scoreless inning streak going on for the Los Angeles Dodgers. So maybe the White Sox... Success against left-handed pitching can continue against Perez. And then on Sunday, this is an interesting matchup pitching-wise. It's John Gray, who has been struggling for the Texas Rangers this year, going up against Michael Kopech. And these two have been compared over the years as prospects as having similar stuff, but their careers are off to much different starts between John Gray struggling and Michael Kopech thriving as of late. He has been very good for the White Sox. And in this particular series, Jim, for the White Sox against the Texas Rangers, I look at Marcus Simeon and Mm -hmm. the Rangers, all of a sudden, they're 26 and 30 and they're in second place, tied for second place, winning percentage wise, because uh, again, the Angels have lost 14 straight games. So now all of a sudden with the athletics being the athletics and the Seattle Mariners having a terrible start to their season. The Rangers find themselves four games below 500, but in a virtual tie for second place in the American League West. And it's not like they've been played all that great. In their last 10 games, they're four and six, but they've made up four games in the last 10 uh, on the Angels. But they have a positive run differential. It's only five runs, but that's a lot better than what the White Sox have. And in the last 15 days, Marcus Simeon has woken up. Over the span of 14 games, Simeon has six home runs, 12 RBIs. He's hitting 322 with a 385 on base percentage and slugging 644. For so long in this season, with Simeon struggling the way that he had, especially for all of April and most of May, many people pointed out pointed out his large contract and say, Man, did the White Sox dodge a bullet at second base? Good thing they got Josh Harrison just for a year because, man, could you imagine being tied up with Marcus Simeon for seven years with the way that he's been playing? And now here's Marcus Simeon dominating everyone in his path right now, especially the last 14 games. And we're going to see him in Chicago. My fear is Marcus Simeon is going to continue to stay hot and maybe proving that, yeah, the White Sox made a mistake again this offseason by not being more serious regarding finding a solution at second base. <laughs> Just like that, the, you know, Rick kind of always touts the flexibility that he always uses to get somebody else who doesn't contribute. Um, yeah, it's, you know, the Rangers are, you know, they, I think they represent a couple different paths. You know, one is the Semyon, um, you know, Corey Seager, uh, you know, path of just that one big contract to super solve a problem. Then you have like the, you know, John Gray was a popular target among White Sox fans for, either trading for him if he got the qualifying offer or signing him without the qualifying offer just because, you know, kind of a buy low, see what Ethan Katz can do. And they went with Vince Velasquez instead. And, you know, Gray has been, you know, his usual self, I guess, puzzling. And um, and so, I mean, like, you know, no real missed opportunity there yet. But uh, this seems like it should be an opportunity for the White Sox to start this streak or start this, you know, roll against lesser opponents because, 
the Rangers are bottom three in walks. Like it's the Rangers, the Tigers, and the White Sox, bottom three in walks, or I should say White Sox, Tigers, and Rangers. Like that's, you know, they hit homers, like they, they, they leave the park, but they don't build innings, just like the White Sox don't build innings. And their pitching is worse than the White Sox. So like, this does seem like a good matchup, given that like the White Sox dig a lot of their holes with walks, you know, just kind of doing it themselves, two out walks, especially bottom of the order, flipping the lineup over. So this should play into their uh, strengths a little bit. Um, but yeah, Semyon, I think, you know, we saw in the Oakland uh, series, uh, the uh, wildcard series in 2020, that he relishes playing against the White Sox, you know, the team that traded him. I'm not sure if that was Chris Bassett seemed to have more of a hair up his butt about it. Um, <laughs> and, I, and so I don't know if like Semyon and, and Josh Fegley kind of rode you know, those emotions just like, yeah, all right, let's let's psych each other up about this. This is fun because we're winning. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. If, yeah, but Bassett seemed to be leading the charge in that. But, you know, Semyon, he's done his damage and such. And, um, you know, he's enjoyed it. He's savored it. He's he's taken the the smiling photos of the that group um, celebrating their win. So, um, you know, I can imagine him sticking to him. But I also mentioned this. I dropped this link in – it was a tweet in the P.O. Sox mailbag I just published talking about how the, the ball had uh, might have changed during mid-May. Just like all of a sudden home runs have gone up. And you know, I was looking at the Rangers home run totals from the last 30 days, and they have a bunch of guys who would be in contention for leading the White Sox in homers based on their home run total from the last 30 days. So basically one month of Rangers home runs is good enough to be you know among the lead, team leaders of the White Sox home runs. So that's one thing I'm on the lookout for is, is the ball traveling more? Is the, Are the Rangers, you know, finally, is the ball cooperating with the Rangers to kind of uh, assist in the plans for the team they thought they were building over the winter. And if so, like in the White Sox get in on that themselves, I think Jake Berger is showing mm-hmm. a little bit of that in terms of like, there's the long ball. There's the loud contact. There's a, um, you know, uh, you know, there's the, uh, just the, the, the exit velocity and launching are being rewarded and, very pleasing distances and stripes. So like perhaps like it could be a little bit of a, uh, um, you know, long ball contest, a little bit of home run derby, but that would be, uh, I guess a, a nice change of pace. If we see more of these nine run outbursts, but without uh, giving up 11 and not without having, you know, a couple of Jake Berger errors and a Dylan Cease meltdown assisted by a really long leash from Tony LaRusso, like just these kind of cascade mistakes that lead to, uh, the error we spent uh, 25 minutes talking about at the top of the show. Yeah, it is kind of fascinating that on paper, the White Sox and Rangers are very similar teams, but it's the Rangers that no one had high expectations for coming into 2022. So for them being 26 and 30, they're a little bit happier with how things mm-hmm. are going, especially with how the season started for the Texas Rangers. White Sox fans are not happy coming into this weekend. And we're starting to hear White Sox fans on the broadcast speed, very vocal and start booing. The White Sox have a below 500 record at home. If they do not win this series, Jim, against the Texas Rangers, I'm not going to be happy when we record the next Sox Machine podcast for Monday morning. Uh, They got to win this series. In a a lot of ways, I think the White Sox have to sweep this series uh, against the Texas Rangers. The White Sox are the better team. They are better than Texas. They just, they got to prove it in all facets, in all facets. And if they lose this series against Texas, man, I mean, I, I just, I I don't know how much it's not early anymore. You're now in the easier part of the schedule and you're not taking advantage of it. 
That's going to be the theme. You have this opportunity. You're not taking advantage of it. April, you have 11 straight games against American League Central. You can add a buffer between you and your rivals, and you fell flat in your face, and you lost 10 out of 11 games. You went through this gauntlet, and you guessed it, Jim. They went 19 and 18, so congrats. Your toughest part of the schedule, you survived. You treaded water, but you're still below 500, and if you do not win this series against the Texas Rangers, you're going to be even deeper below 500. No excuses anymore. They got to win this series, and I think they got to sweep the Texas Rangers in order for me to be somewhat content uh, come Sunday night when we record the next Sox Machine podcast. Yeah, that it didn't help. Well, just I want to say one thing quickly. Like one thing I, I consider like a a little bit of a frightening omen is that as the White Sox are about to embark on this stretch, uh, Rick Hahn has to say that Eloy Jimenez's rehab stints will be interrupted because of leg soreness and has to be shut down. He has to start a brand new uh, rehab stint. So I'm, you know, I wouldn't trust that the Calvary is coming. Or the Calvary. I, I'm not but, trusting the Calvary is coming. Yeah. Cavalry, sorry, I, I, I mispronounced it. Uh, like, I, I think they have to dance with who they brought right now and, and who made it to opening day, more or less, or who's here now. And if right now, yeah, we've gotten to, uh, you know, PO Sox questions, other ones about like, should the White Sox add? Will they be buyers? Like, they can't, I, I think they need blinders right now. They just like, they, I, I think they can't pretend that they can, I think they have to pretend that they can't add. Like they had, I think they have to pretend that they're past the deadline basically and just, you know, solve problems themselves because they don't have the farm system add meaningfully. You know, they'd, they'd be getting lucky. I think if they got like a, uh, an impact addition at the, at the deadline based on who they have to deal, or it'd be a real, you know, desperate kind of trade where they're trading Colson Montgomery and just, uh, you know, they're, they're far away, but top prospects for guys, you know, one year left or other, uh, you know, guys who other teams with deeper farm systems couldn't beat. So the way I look at it is like, they just have to pretend that they can't add. And so like, if they do need to bring up Gilbert Sanchez, or they do need to bring up Carlos Perez and, you know, I uh, send uh, Yasmani Grandal to the IL, or if they do need to figure out how to get Jake Berger every day, or, you know, Andrew Vaughn as many games as possible. Like I think that's how they need to address this current um, you know, current situation. They can't pretend that Jimenez is coming back. They can't pretend that Joe Kelly is coming back. They can't pretend, you know, that Makata is getting better. They just have to pretend like the roster is the roster. What are you going to do with it? MacGyver your way out of it, basically. And then, you know, that's, I, I think that's how I'm looking at it because these flaws, you know, like you said, it's not early anymore. And with Jimenez's rehab stint being, you know, started, yeah, I would treat that as a sign that help isn't coming uh, unless, you know, unless they earn it. I want to be that gift where that guy just walks up for the business meeting, opens up the window and leaps out after you just said that the White Sox have to MacGyver their way and solve their own problems. I don't trust anyone that's supposed to solve these problems, Jim. That's not helping. <laughs> that's like that's more, my problem. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, that shirt baseball needs more Tim Andersons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the White Sox front office needs more Dallas Keuchel decisions. <laughs> that, that's not really, that's really pithy enough for a shirt, but yeah. I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Well, hopefully the White Sox play a lot better baseball over the weekend. I have zero confidence in Tony Russa moving forward for the rest of the season. So the players, it's on you guys. Pitch well enough, hit well enough early in the game and hope that the decision-making is an easy one for the Russa and the coaching staff.
But that will do it for this episode of Socks Machine Live. Thank you guys so much that watched the episode live on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Socks Machine. You can also watch the live streams. I put them on Twitter. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Socks Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Socks Machine underscore Josh. If you don't get an opportunity to watch the Socks Machine live streams, we always take the audio recording and upload it into the podcast feed which you can listen to the Socks Machine podcast and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts such as Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, two PSAs. One, we still have tickets available for our hashtag 1080 road trip in Minneapolis. Again, this is going to be held on Saturday, July 16th. The location is the North Loop Galley. It's $30 per person. All, all those that attend will be receiving three drink tickets as you come through the front door. We're very grateful for North Loop Galley to open up their place of business to a bunch of White Sox fans that are coming to the game. We have sold around 80 tickets already for this pregame party. Uh, so if you are going to be in Minneapolis for this series, if you're going to be attending this White Sox Twins game and you want to hang out with us, again, go to SoxMachine.com and purchase your hashtag 1080 road trip ticket. For the Minneapolis pregame party, it's just $30 per person, and it comes with three drink tickets. If you have just discovered Socks Machine or been a longtime lurker of Socks Machine, you can help support us at patreon.com slash Socks Machine, where our Patreon supporters get more. They get exclusive content, they get ad-free versions of the podcast website, and they are also the first ones to receive our new Socks Machine swag, like Jim's new t-shirt idea if you ever come to fruition on that uh you can sign up at patreon.com slash socks machine where monthly plans start at two dollars and you can save with an annual subscription socks machine live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things chicago white Sox baseball and part of the blue wire podcast network alongside jim margulis i'm josh nelson thanks for watching and listening